The text for this morning's worship service is taken from Philippians 3, to verses 20 and 21. Let's read those verses once again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Some of you may be familiar with the book, The Man Without a Country. The book is loosely based on the story of Philip Nolan, the United States Army lieutenant. When a friend of his is tried for treason and he himself is tried as an accomplice, Nolan, during his testimony, bitterly renounced his nation, pronounced the curse upon the United States, and angrily shouted, I wish I may never hear of the United States again. The judge, on convicting him, icily grants him his wish. He is to spend the rest of his life aboard United States Navy warships in exile with no right ever to set foot on the U.S. soil again and with explicit orders that no one shall ever mention his country to him again. The review of the book says that the sentence is carried out to the letter. For the rest of his life, Nolan is transported from ship to ship living out his life as a prisoner on the high seas, never once allowed back in a home port. None of the sailors in whose custody Nolan remains are allowed to speak to him about the U.S., and his newspapers are censored. Deprived of a homeland, Nolan slowly and painfully learns the true worth of his country. He misses it more than his friends or family, more than art or music or love or nature. Without it, he is nothing. Brothers and sisters, citizenship is important. If you do not have a place to call your own, then you do not belong anywhere. Then you are without rights, you are without support, you are a wanderer on the earth. You have no roots. You do not have anyone to care for you or to be connected to. Without a country to call your own, you have a most miserable existence. And so a person should belong somewhere, being a citizen somewhere. You should have some place where you can find security and well-being. Just about everybody on earth has a place like that. Everybody belongs somewhere here on this earth. But I'm sure that you will agree that not all places on earth are the same. Who wants to belong to a nation such as Syria, for example, or Libya, or Somalia, or some other poor or war-torn country? People that live there would love to get out. Many people of the world would love to be a Canadian citizen. They dream about it, and they will do anything to come here to this country. Some will even risk their lives. That's because Canada is a free country, a rich country, giving you access to many benefits. But 
we know that being a citizen of this country does not give you a perfect life either. On the contrary, there are many things that are wrong. It is not all sunshine and roses. The truth is there is no perfect place on earth. And now the text of this morning also speaks about citizenship, but not about citizenship of any nation, but about citizenship in heaven. That is more desirable than anything. Why is that? Well, because citizenship in heaven gives you enormously wonderful benefits. Benefits that are most desirable, perfect, and everlasting. That's what I will preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about the wonderful benefits of citizenship in heaven. And we will see in the first place the content of those benefits, and in the second place, the fulfillment of those benefits. Who is a citizen of the world, and who is a citizen of heaven? Well, Paul clearly spells that out just prior to our text. He writes, For as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And then he begins the following verse with, But, but our citizenship is in heaven. You could say it even stronger. On the other hand, our citizenship is in heaven. A worldly person lives as if this is the only thing there is, as if there is nothing else worth pursuing. But on the other hand, a believer sets his sight on what he has in heaven, because that is where his citizenship is. The King James Version uses a different word here for the word citizenship. It says that our conversation is in heaven. When we use the word conversation, we speak about the verbal exchange between two or more people. But that was not the original meaning of the word. Originally, it referred to the act of living and dwelling in a place. That's why an old German and an old Dutch translation says that our walk is in heaven. The Greek word is polyterma. It is related to the word polis, which means city. We get our word politics from it. When we think of a city during Paul's day, we should not think of it in modern terms. The city was much more powerful and independent than the cities of today. And in those days, your citizenship did not so much depend on the country in which it was located, but in the city in which you lived. And that is clear from what we know about the city of Philippi itself. For the city of Philippi, although it is in the province of Macedonia, a long way from Italy, is actually a Roman city. In that respect, Philippi was unlike most other cities in the Roman Empire outside of Italy, for there were not many cities outside of Italy which could claim such a privilege. Philippi was given that privilege because of its former and continued loyalty to Caesar Augustus. The city was full of Roman war veterans who had been given a plot of land there. 
the official language of the city was also Latin rather than Greek, even though Greek was spoken all over the province of Macedonia. And so Philippi was unique. There were also many benefits attached to being a citizen of such a Roman city. At times, the city was exempted from paying tribute and taxation. The citizens also enjoyed protection under the Roman law and special protection from enemies. For the city was treated as if it were on Italian soil. They could also proclaim Caesar Augustus as their savior, which was one of the titles that Caesar Augustus had given to himself. As you can imagine, the citizens of Philippi were proud to be citizens of such a city. They put their trust in the Roman Empire. They proudly kept the laws of the homeland and conducted themselves as if they actually lived in Rome. And so you can see why Paul speaks to these people about the importance of citizenship. Paul wants to make the Philippians think and to draw certain spiritual conclusions from this. He uses earthly concepts to make them understand heavenly concepts. So what exactly is he saying to them? Well, some commentators claim that the word used in the text here for the word citizenship means the same thing as colony. According to them, that is the way it was also with regard to Philippi. For, so they say, during the time of the Roman Empire, a colony was a group of people from a certain area who would take up residence elsewhere to a place where they had different customs and laws. And such colonists would then not take over those customs and laws of that nation, but they would hold on to the same laws and customs as the country from which they came. Such a colony was Philippi, they say. Even though the city was in the midst of a country of Greece and Macedonia, they were citizens not of Greece, but of Rome. They were Roman colonists in a Greek country. The same thing they would apply to believers. They say, we are also nothing more than colonists. We may live here on earth, but we don't really belong to it. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, there are some elements of truth in such an interpretation, but we have to be careful with it. For that is not exactly what Paul has in mind. We should not get the impression that Paul means that the Christian's abode was in the first place in heaven and that now we have moved our residence to earth. No, the Philippians and so believers have become citizens of heaven. Heaven was not their original abode. And how did we become citizens there? Well, God the Father himself wrote our names in the registry. He did that only because his natural son came to earth so that he could prepare a place for us. He is the guarantee of that citizenship. And no one can blot us out of that registry. For even though we are not yet in heaven, we live as if we do. And that is why the King James Version is not too far off the mark by translating this text as our conversation, that is, our walk of life, 
the way we conduct ourselves is in heaven. For that is indeed where the rules for our conduct are laid down. While we are on earth, we must strive to conduct ourselves as if we are already in heaven. For that is our aim. And that is clear from what Paul said earlier. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. He tells the Philippians that they must conduct themselves as if they were already in heaven. After all, they are already now, even though they still live on earth, citizens there. They are on the earth, but they do not belong to it. And so the same thing goes for you and for me, brothers and sisters, also you, boys and girls. And that is why we must conduct ourselves in the same way. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it looks like we are citizens of the world, doesn't it? We conduct ourselves in pretty much the same way as they do. We're anxious about the same things, about our jobs, our mortgages, our health. We want to also make a name for ourselves in this world. We want people to look up to us and to admire us. We worship many of the same idols. And so we also share in many of the same sins. We get angry or disappointed when things do not go our way. We also try to find satisfaction in earthly pleasures. And we also cheat and lie in order to protect our position here on earth. Can you identify with that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Are you really different from your neighbor? In what way? And yet, you are radically different, at least you are supposed to be. And so Paul says, on the other hand, our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, that is not where our treasure is. This earth is ultimately not where we belong. This earth is only a temporary abode, and all the things that come with it are temporary. And it is for that reason, because we have that knowledge, that we are different. At least we ought to be. Our Father in heaven wants all of us to realize what that citizenship in heaven entails. He wants us to show by the way that we conduct ourselves that we do not really belong to this sinful world. At least that we do not want to belong to it. Though he wants us to show a little bit, he wants us, through us, he wants to show what heaven is like. For at this very moment, this world belongs to Satan. He is the prince of this world, as it says in the scriptures. But in spite of sin and the effects of sin, we do not belong to Satan and his domain. We belong to our Father in heaven. God chooses us to manifest his glory here on earth. And that is why the Lord Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father just before he was taken up to heavenly glory, not to take us out of this world, but to keep us from the evil one. That was his prayer in John 17, verse 15. We are still living on this earth, 
and we have our daily routine. Schools are about to start up again. The holiday season is over. Things are going back to normal, whatever your normal is. But evil is all around us. We encounter it all around us. We also encounter it within us, don't we? And therefore, it is very important for us to remember at all times that our citizenship is in heaven. And we have to remember also that we cannot make ourselves citizens of heaven, but that God has to do so. For it is not so that we have to win the victory over the evil one. No, that is what Christ has done. But what we do have to do is to show the victory of the cross in our own lives. That is the way we also show a little bit of heaven here on earth. We must show what it is to walk in obedience to God's law. We must show that we delight in the law of God. For you see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, ours is a life of joy. That is because of the citizenship that God has given us. And that is especially what Paul wants to impress upon his readers. He uses the word joy time and again in this letter. Paul himself is joyful in spite of the miserable circumstances that he finds himself in at the moment that he writes this letter. For Paul is writing this letter from jail. His days are numbered. He hardly has a coat to keep him warm. However, he's a very joyful man. Why? Because he knows where his citizenship is. Some people think that we as Christians have to look like a mortician with a perpetual frown on our faces. Well, the opposite is true. We too are citizens of heaven and that ought to fill us with joy. We know that Christ has prepared a place for us. We also know that all our rights and all our privileges, our treasures, belong not to this earthly domain, but to the heavenly one. In that sense, we are but strangers and sojourners on the earth. A few years ago, there was a new discovery in the medical field. Doctors discovered that laughter speeds up the healing process. And for that reason, some hospitals in North America set up rooms where funny movies are shown. They want to produce laughter. They want their patients to be cheerful. It is good medicine. Well, Solomon taught that truth already 3,000 years ago. He says in Proverbs 17, verse 22, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A happy and cheerful Christian, therefore, not only attracts others to Christ, but he or she has a little taste of heaven in that he is joyful because of the things that he has been given. And when you are joyful, then you will not be prone to all kinds of diseases either. And we can be cheerful, we can be joyful, therefore even under the most trying, even under the most miserable of circumstances. For we know that something much greater than we could ever experience here on earth is awaiting us. That brings us to our second point, namely the fulfillment of those benefits. Our text says that from there we can expect a Savior. The Philippians were new Christians. 
And when they came to faith, their lives were radically changed. They had a new outlook, and therefore they conducted themselves differently. They also discovered, however, that it is hard to maintain such conduct, that there is a constant battle against Satan. And furthermore, they have to deal with the effects of sin. They have to deal with suffering. They have to deal with death and decay. They have to deal with their own frail human existence, the frailty of their own physical bodies. And no doubt you can identify with that. We also have our struggles against sin, our own sins, and the effects of sin. And that is why Paul reminds them of the great hope that they must cling to, namely that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again from heaven to protect them, to usher in a whole new era, at which time the struggle will be over. He wants them as believers, therefore, to patiently await the return of Christ on the clouds. And brothers and sisters, that is what we should be doing together as well. As we struggle against our daily sins, and as we deal with death and decay, as we deal with the frailty of our own bodies, we must do so in the expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why we worship the Lord God together every first day of the week. And that is why we also go to study societies, so that we may be instructed in and reminded of of what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. The Lord God wants us to be busy with heavenly things. For Satan wants us to be busy with earthly things. Patiently, we have to wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to spur one another on. For there is a great reward attached to that patient yearning for the return of Christ. The text tells us that our lowly bodies will be changed to be like his glorious body. It speaks about our lowly bodies. The Apostle Paul speaks here of the body as it is permeated by sin and its effects. Well, Christ will return, and that will mean an end to all that. Our bodies will be like his glorious body. Isn't that a beautiful prospect? Our physical bodies will be like spiritual bodies. That is to say, they will never be subject again to decay and death and disease. It will be dominated by the Spirit of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Our inner nature will conform to our outer nature. There will no longer be any conflict in our lives. Our misery will be gone. No more alienation, no more fighting against the desires of the flesh. It will be a beautiful and peaceful existence. There will no longer be any alienation from one another. We will live in perfect harmony. And yet, we only now can begin to understand this. We can only have a small beginning of the understanding of such a wonderful and such a glorious existence. But now already we have a little taste of heaven of what it will be like. We don't know exactly that yet. It is just too great for our sinful minds to grasp. And yet, 
God does reveal us something about this. He speaks about our bodies, for example. And Revelation 1, verse 14 through 16 gives us some inkling. For there we meet the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. The Apostle John sees him as he now is in his glorious body. It says there that he was standing among the lampstands like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. He paints a magnificent picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this is all in symbolic language. And yet it shows us what a transformation has taken place. And Christ had a body just like ours while he was on earth. His body was also a lowly body. And yet look at the change that has come about. We see him depicted in all his glory and power. We, brothers and sisters, will be like that. And that is our great expectation. Isn't that something to look forward to? Doesn't that make you glad that you are a Christian? Doesn't it fill you with joy that you may belong to this church where these promises are handed out to you through the preaching of the gospel? How blessed we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are not wanderers or strangers anywhere. We belong to God's people. We belong to God's nation. We belong to those who dwell in heaven, even though we are still in this sinful world. Christ is seated there and he has prepared a place for us, a place of honor. There will come an end to sin, to misery, to alienation from God, alienation from ourselves. And through his power, our lowly bodies will become like his. So our lives are full of hope and expectation. Our lives are secure, for we belong. We belong to God's kingdom. This afternoon you will hear more about what it means to belong to God's kingdom and how wonderful that is. And so come, Lord Jesus, and take us where you are, in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. Amen.